the mic. It helps to plug it in. Hello. You're living in the clouds, baby. Living in the clouds. Sorry. It was Slavov Zizak's Why I'm Still a Communist. I'm British. Yeah, yeah the answer was like, yeah, I'm internationally famous. <laughs> I could say whatever I want. But yeah, that my, this computer has very little memory. And I don't know why I just wasn't thinking about it. Well, I do know why. It's because the one with a lot of memory cost a few hundred more dollars, but I bought the one that doesn't have any memory at all. Mm -hmm. Which works for most things, but like when you have to put like multiple audio tracks on and edit them, it gets, the file gets pretty big. So none of these actually exist anymore once we put them out there. Yes. Well, I I, I uh, record over those. Ruined. Just like all the uh, all the old all the early Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, the first season of Monty Python, where they revealed that they would all become reactionary <laughs> conservatives once they got old. You record over those in the old Monty Python, the first Monty Python episodes. What's happening? We're, Here's some Mexican we're all going to still be rich, and uh, in a few years we're all going to still be white. We'll be white, really white, really rich. <laughs> Who knows? Speaking of reactionary, oh man, my, uh, don't set off fireworks in my high school. Yeah, that sounded crazy. <laughs> I've never seen, so at my high school there was, so a kid just set off fireworks. I saw him do it. I, I saw them, it was just like the worst, like it was like the you worst. You saw it happening. The, I saw it happening. I was going to the bathroom and I looked over the back and look over it when I go, um, into the faculty restroom you can kind of see over into the, as you go into the, you kind of walk through this open hallway and you can look over into the cafeteria. And I saw the explosion. I saw the uh, the fireworks. Like it was like a, what do you call it? Like a candle, like one of those candle style fireworks. A Roman candle? Yeah, a Roman candle. Jesus. Yeah. You it's can the actually- most dangerous and worst <laughs> kind of firework. <laughs> yeah. I've never shot those at somebody without having a, a horrible <laughs> effect. I've yeah. never done it for hour after hour on a Halloween night. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was just like, oh, like fireworks. Saying something? Yeah, I was like, fire. oh my God, like fireworks in the cafeteria. That's annoying. That's. So, cut to like the fire alarm goes off. And I thought we would, um, yeah, we'd just be evacuated. I thought some, I thought one of the kids had pulled the fire alarm. Um, you know, I thought it was part of the prank and I thought we'd be coming back in soon. So I actually left my cell phone in the building, but we go outside and we all go, all the kids go to their safety areas and then the principals come outside and they tell everyone to clear, like get back, like get away from the building. And there was probably like 10 police cars, like just come speeding in. And, uh, this is like our... Like the uh, school PD, this like we have our own police force, and then the local 
PD came at like the local police, state troopers. There were state troopers. There was the bomb squad came in. The bomb squad uh, SWAT team. The SWAT team was there, and were they all going hut 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 <laughs> yeah. and roping down the building? <laughs> yeah, it was. And then there was like a kid talking to his mom or talking to one of his parents on the. He's like, "Oh my God, mom! Like they're they're ever like." It's every everybody's here. It's like even the FBI. And I was like, "Don't be ridiculous!" Like the FBI's not here. And as I say that, the ATF. I see like an ATF car. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, maybe the ATF will." I mean, the a, the FBI will probably be here at some point. Or the TBI at least. <laughs> the yeah, the Tennessee Tennessee Bureau of Investigation was there. Um, Walker Texas Ranger was there. <laughs> He came in. He did like a big uh, roundhouse kick at the, at the fireworks. Yeah. yeah, Governor Abbott wheeled himself in. Um, um. Oh no! <laughs> but it was Kralik, and we. I. And Richard's ghost showed up. And and Richard's ghosts. Um, yeah, it was not. And we we've had arm. We've had like police like in all the hallways for the rest of the. I think for the rest of the week, because the kids said. What happened fireworks. to the guys? I'm guessing they're guys. What happened to the guys that did it? What do you think happened to them? See if they got arrested. Yeah, so they're juveniles, but they were in the paper. It said they were there was an emer- They were both emergency expelled. There was an emergency expulsion, and they're facing oh, charges. Yeah. So there must be like I'm guessing that your the campus police probably have like just anything like that. There's a signal yeah. they give, and once they give it, everybody shows up. Right? That was basically what happened. Yeah, it was basically like somebody called in an explosion, and mm-hmm. somebody called in there. Oh, there's an explosion on campus, and it just activated like the bomb squad protocol, and just yeah. It just it was right. there was no turning like we couldn't you couldn't turn it off like it right. was so once they activate that like everybody's gonna show up until yeah and they had to do gone. the bomb and they had to search the entire building like the bomb squad had to sweep the building mm-hmm. and like nobody oh, could go Lord. back into the building for like until like five o'clock like it was like three hours before anybody could go back in the building um and they also had the parking lot like they dismissed all the kids that walked home uh but. The parking lot was blocked. They wouldn't let anybody in or out of the parking lot. So all the kids that were drivers, like, couldn't go home. So they just, like, the, oh, kid, the no. kids that had really good stereo systems, like, just turned on their stereo systems and they were dancing. Like, they were dancing on <laughs> top of the cars, <laughs> having a block party. So it turned into an 80s movie. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody put a pizza on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, we did save the... That's uh, what, we, so there's this really... No, go ahead. There's a really clear moment from my like high school that we all remember uh, that generated this term that we use called Nirvana Basers. <laughs> this is how we knew the world had changed because this is right after Nirvana's Nevermind came out and we had a bomb threat on campus. And so we all had to go out to the parking lot and it was kind of the same thing and everyone with cars on their stereos. And there was all these guys with like the really big bass speakers in their cars. And instead of blasting like a uh, uh, Miami bass, like usual, they were blasting Nirvana's Nevermind album. <laughs> and like we realized, like all like the punk rock lunch squad realized like something has fundamentally changed in our universe. So we would refer to that kind of crossover 
uh, as the Nirvana basers. Yeah, half bone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what it was like. More like they were listening to, um, like Juice World. They were dancing to Juice World, and um, that's it. That's all the reference. That's the only reference I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Chad just left. It was too much for him. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I had to what? You had to leave. It was too much for you. <laughs> it was too much. It was too traumatic. And okay. and so we had we had to have a 6:15 faculty meeting the next morning to discuss. Certain, oh Lord. And it was the chief, the chief of our school police, like telling us everybody had done a really great job. Because apparently we have the best, we have the best police squad, like best school police squad in the uh-huh. entire state of Texas. Because our police chief is the, he's the police chief of all of, like I guess he's been named like police chief of all of Texas, like school police. Um, and um, he told us we were doing a really good job. And then the superintendent came out and she said, uh, don't talk to the news media and have a great day and that was like the the six that's like the faculty meeting that we had to go to at six fifteen in the morning and then our principal came out and said like oh like we we a lot of bad stuff happened yesterday but also a lot of good stuff happened and we all learned a lot about <laughs> ourselves <laughs> <laughs> does this count as that talking to the media because i'm recording all of this yeah oh no oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> Oh no! This is—I never told you what school district it was, but I guess I told you it's the chief of uh, the chief of all Texas police. And I guess you can just—I guess you can Google search like fire, fireworks in high school go off, and uh, it'll come up. <laughs> uh, and he's also, probably happened at a few high schools. Yeah, it'll probably happen again. And he's also the same. This guy—he comes and does like the school shoot, the school shooting, like talks about school shootings to the faculty and. And somebody asked, like, well, do you think teachers should have guns? And he's like, no, like, I don't think teachers should have guns. That's like the, because, like, when I, uh, like, our, he's like our SWAT team, our school shooting SWAT team, when they come in, they have instructions to shoot anybody that has a gun. gun. So, yeah, like, we would no, shoot you. that's exactly. And right. he was like, that's if you exactly. had a gun, like, if you had a gun, I would shoot you, like, during a school right. shoot. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> that's good. I actually like this guy more now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he also just told us, like, basically, he said, like, if there's a school shooting, just everybody, tell everybody to run. I mean, that's basically it. Like, just everybody. Well, thing. We've, yeah, we've <laughs> talked about this before uh, in reference to um, some place we might all work. But that's, <laughs> that's like, the only, there's no real consensus advice. Like, there's yeah. no good thing to do in a school shooting. You're just supposed to, like, run. That's about yeah. it. Um, I'm going to try roundhouse kick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I, that's what I named my pistol. Well, <laughs> I just always like, if it ever happens, I'm just going to scream. Like, if you shoot me, you better kill me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already have that tattooed on myself. I just rip off my shirt when it starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, it was. I had the weird uh, feeling the other day. I went to see um, Star Wars here in Japan, and it was dubbed over. That was fun. Um, 
in this movie theater, and it's a strange rural movie theater, and no one was in it. Like, it was empty. And in America, I usually get just a little bit in the movie theater. I start to get the, well, if someone runs in with a gun, like, where can I run? Which direction can I run out of? And then I realized I'm, no one has a gun within, like, hundreds of miles of here. Like, I'm not going to get shot. It's one of those very strange things when you're outside of America. That, well, outside of America, some places, David, I imagine you don't feel that way. <laughs> I'm checking the exits here in my living room. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, I assume we're all recording. I mean, do I even need to do an intro on this? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I just did the intro. That is the intro. <laughs> well, it's a very special episode. Yeah. Shrug today. Um, it's I could have died. Episode. I don't even need to introduce any of us. Uh, we're doing our um, special year-end wrap-up episode. Now that it's a new year, yeah, we're we're uh, we're on Southern time. We're doing <laughs> New Year's a week late. Um, it's our our rear said, end huh? review. Our rear end yeah, review. Rear end <laughs> review. Um, I thought like today, like we usually we have ourselves kind of bounded in by uh, things that happen in whatever we define the South as that week and stuff. But this one's kind of open ended. And we can just talk about, uh, in several categories, kind of um, things we read, saw, listened to uh, this year to kind of put on our, our wrapping up 2019 list. Does that work? Yes. Yep. Sure. Okay. Um, well, let's do this one. Since I finally, I, I don't, now that I have children, I don't get to watch movies anymore, really. Like, I get to sometimes if they're on Netflix and everybody's asleep. I don't get to go to the movies anymore. So I didn't see that many 2019 movies this year. But I have two that I definitely think were my favorites that I saw this year. So for any of you who might have seen more movies than me this year, what was your movie of the year for 2019? Mm-hmm. Chad, you see I movies. don't get out to the movies too much because um, they're only the biggest American movies come here, which are uh-huh. usually not to my taste. And then they're right. often dubbed. Yeah. And so, um, but there were two things that I saw this year. One was actually released December of uh, 2018, uh-huh. uh, which was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, it's so good. That was the best movie to well, us- easily for me. I usually don't like um, animation very much, and I don't mm-hmm. like kids' movies very much. But it was yeah. just a lot of fun from beginning to end. And I realize that's my thing with superhero movies. I just want to have fun. I don't want them to try to be deep or to try to make me care very deeply. And if incidentally any of those things happen along the way, it's great. But I just want to have fun. And I found it right. fun from beginning to end. I really loved it. Yeah, it's And then really the good. other thing I saw was Jojo Rabbit. I haven't gotten to see that at all, and I really want to. How was it? It's not great. But it's fun, mm-hmm. too. It's um, uh, as much fun as you can have with Hitler. <laughs> Which a lot of people have had fun with Hitler over the years. <laughs> um, well, it's, um, you know, <clears throat> kind of in reference to um, um, something that I'm eventually going to say about the Dixie Stampede. Uh-huh. I think that there's <laughs> a way of dealing with problematic historical moments and with uh, uh, um, I think that sometimes trivializing those things 
is a way of diminishing them and that it can be okay. Uh, I don't think trivializing the Holocaust and concentration camps can be okay, but I think trivializing Hitler and the Hitler youth movement and talking about how people don't understand what they're a part of, Mm -hmm. uh, especially through the eyes of a child, can be a way of looking at it in a fresh way because it's hard to find a fresh take on World War II. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so were were both of those dubbed? Uh, No, actually, I saw both of those on... um, Actually, the oh. Jojo Rabbit might have been a um, copy that was submitted to the Academy that got bootlegged into Mexico. Because yeah. I saw it, uh, uh, I saw it on a disc, uh-huh. which I think it's probably not out on disc yet. No, but I don't down think here, so. Yeah, why not? Uh, a friend of mine said, um, "I've got my hands on this thing. Do you want to see it?" And so I went because it never opened here. It never played here. <laughs> How often do you hear that uh, phrase? Um, constantly Um, um... yeah I saw uh, when I saw Star Wars it was dubbed in Japanese and it actually I haven't seen it in English yet so I don't know but it actually made it um, some parts of it better because the emperor talks like a like a samurai kabuki villain (laughs) Um, Uh, like a really kind of same in English Japanese oh really so that was good um yeah, I want to see. I mean, I, I loved Into the Spider Verse. I think it was. I think it's the best Marvel movie uh, that's been made, even though it's not in the in the universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it was like you know, I think because it wasn't connected to that, it had a lot of freedom uh, to do just kind of strange, off the wall stuff. Uh, and it was. It actually made. Um, I didn't realize the music that was Post Malone, so it actually made me listen to a Post Malone song, which was yeah. a big achievement. Um, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. The animation's great. Uh, the kind of premise is great. Uh, I think that uh, Peter Porker is my favorite character. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the whole thing. Yeah, I really liked it, too. And I think it might have been my favorite superhero movie. As I'll say that as someone who loves... Not superhero movie. I love superhero comic books. But I'm kind of... I'm, I'll talk about this more in another uh, best of uh, later in the show. But... Right. Uh, I've kind of got burnout on superhero movies, burnout on superhero comics, and but this was really good. I thought it was a good comic book movie, a good superhero movie, and I was overall like really liked it. Yeah, I think I might have mentioned this before too, and not to go too much in the analysis of this movie, but uh, now now that I'm the parent of a uh, of a child who has lived between two different countries. Um, seeing the the kid in this version of Spider Man as like kind of a a uh, a African American and Latino kid whose superpower is turning invisible when he doesn't mean to um, <laughs> or he doesn't want to, <laughs> uh, kind of struck me as a as pretty genius uh, thing to do in the movie. Um, and kind of, I saw it I saw it with uh, Musashi, so it was really fun to watch it with him because I don't think he thought about it. I don't think he thinks of himself in those ways, and I don't think he thought about it in those ways. But it was really interesting for him to to think it was a cool movie too. Well, I think that uh, we talked. I mean, we might have talked about this uh, uh, in reference to 
the Watchmen, but I'm not sure if mm. that was a conversation with you guys or somebody else. But what I one of the things I liked about it is that the multiculturalism of it didn't seem agenda driven or tacked on or like a marketing ploy. It just felt mm. organic to the movie. And that right. was nice, you know. It's like I didn't even think too much about like who was making the movie. I was just enjoying it for what it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so I guess I'll do mine and then we'll go to Chad. So I, like I said, I don't get to see very many movies this year. But one day, once we got to Japan, um, I snuck off and was able to go watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Tarantino movie. Um, and I, I think, David, you're not crazy about Tarantino movies, right? No. No, yeah. I really like them. I like him. I like his... Well, I don't know if I like him. He seems like he'd be horrible to be around for very long. But I like his movies, and uh, I really, really found myself liking this one way more than I thought that I would. And it's kind of... I, when I watch movies when I'm not in America, I get a lot more sappy about movies than I am when I'm in America. But I thought this one hit, like, all the right notes about a nostalgia for kind of a Hollywood of that time period and kind of the people who are not like super famous but like would like to be super famous and are kind of bit players in that. Um, and the ending of it, I'm not gonna give anything away, but if you know anything about like the, the Manson case and the, and the Sharon Tate murder, which is just horrible, just a horrible, horrible story, um, the kind of the way that the movie ended even though it's Tarantino over the top the last scene was kind of emotionally resonant I think and just the details of it and uh, are all really good I thought I liked it uh, so that was my one uh, did anyone else see it I saw it I saw it and I, w yeah. I would uh, even though I don't really I don't go see movies I go see films um, <laughs> <laughs> but no that was probably my favorite I don't I don't make it out to a lot of like uh, new movies either, not because I have kids, but because I have a job that requires teach me. teach kids. Yeah, yeah because I teach kids, kids and I have to be at work. You have hundreds of kids. I have hundreds of kids that I have to meet oh. at 7 o'clock in the morning every day. Yeah. Um, but I saw, and I, yeah, I'm always, um, yeah, like Quentin Tarantino I have, yeah, some issues with, but I, I, I really liked it. I would like to see it again, and I think it really. Yeah, I just, I, I think it might be the best Quentin Tarantino movie I've, I've seen. Um, and I like, I, I, I like a lot of his stuff, even though I know he, I have some issues with. Uh, I know I have some issues with him, but. Um, so, are you think it's possible for a director to be a bad person and make a good film? I've never. Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm starting to think that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard. It's almost like maybe what it requires to be a. Uh, it requires being an egotistical, uh, ambitious person to get something done. I don't know, or maybe yeah. not. Maybe that can yeah. change. Um, yeah. It, you know. Also, there was some controversy over. Uh, there's a. I don't think I'm giving anything away to say there's a Bruce Lee uh, yeah. character in the movie, and people were upset about it about the scene and I have loved Bruce Lee all my life. I absolutely, I, I love Bruce Lee. I had photos of him on my wall growing up, even all through college. I like Bruce Lee a lot. I thought it was great because part of Bruce Lee's personality, if you read about him, is that he was kind of uh, arrogant and prickly sometimes. He was also um, very nice and helped a lot of people and uh, pulled up a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise have had a chance. But he could also be uh, a real kind of confident, arrogant 
um, not really bully necessarily, but like put, push people, right? And so he's kind of doing that in this movie, but also in a way that sets up stuff for the rest of the movie because we have to believe that Brad Pitt is, um, is in some ways like this indestructible, right. indestructible uh, fighter, right? And so he picks a fight with Bruce Lee and not giving anything away, I hope, wins the fight, right? And some people were upset about that saying, oh, you're making a white character beat up Bruce Lee. But it's kind of, that's the whole point of that scene is to show that Brad Pitt is kind of, has a rare talent for fighting. Right. Um, another thing it did that I liked a lot was kind of showing the Manson family and this kind of dark side of the hippie movement as being just the absolute scumbags that they were, as being right. like not sympathetic at the least. And like this kind of, this element of that, that the counterculture, that if you read about it in that time period, there's some, there's some really dark elements to the counterculture, right? That of the time and the hippie movement that are disturbing and are like, would not want to be a part of. So I thought it did a good job of showing that. It's just showing the Manson family as scumbags. There's three movies I really want to see. And I thought I'd ask if you guys had seen them just to find out if you could recommend them. One of them is Parasite. Okay. So that's my number one. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was my number two, but go ahead and tell the other ones, but Parasite's my number one. So keep going. Um, Knives Out. I haven't um, seen it yet. And uh, Lighthouse. I really want to see both of those. They're not out in Japan. And I have a feeling Lighthouse never will be out in Japan, but <laughs> we'll see. And if it's dubbed over, I'm definitely going to see it. <laughs> um, so to talk Par- about Parasite then. Yeah, Parasite's my number one best movie of the year. It's incredibly good. I wish I was teaching this year because I would make my class watch it if possible. Well, depending on the class. But um, it's amazing, and it's hard to describe it without giving away the, the twists in the plot or the things that, that kind of are revealed to you slowly. But I'll just give you the basic outline. It's about a very wealthy family in Seoul, South Korea, who live in this beautiful, uh, absolutely gorgeous home, and then about another family who, through their eldest son becoming the English teacher for the rich family's daughter, slowly work their way into this rich family's life, uh, all the time not revealing that they are themselves a family. Uh, They lie about who they are in order to get work within the household because they're poor. Um, And it shows, you know, if you know, if you follow much about what's going on in South Korea now, there's a real difficult, there's a real income gap, like a huge class and income gap. And there's also uh, a real battle, like the, the kind of system that it used to exist where if you studied hard and went to a good school and came out, you would have a good good job. Doesn't really, that's kind of fallen apart. And so there's a real anxiety about, about uh, young people having a future, right? And so this family is kind of illustrating that because they live in poverty and they live in this home that's like a basement level home in kind of a, a soul, uh, a slum in Seoul. Right, and so what happens during the movie? It's really hard to to tell you about without giving away too much. But the, their involvement with this family com- becomes more and more complicated, and slowly kind of shows how class works in South Korean society in a way that's really uh, terrifying. And it's not a horror movie, but there are horrible things in it. And also, if you're a disaster person. Um, there's this constantly when you're teaching disasters there's this really hard thing to teach people about the difference between vulnerability and hazard 
uh, that we talk about a lot. And the big plot point in this movie, which is about a, a rainstorm, uh, illustrates completely that point about the difference between um, hazard and vulnerability and how different hazards affect people differently depending on who they are and where they live and, and things like that. I don't know. Did you see it, Chad? I didn't. I haven't got to see it yet. I really want to, to see it. Yeah, and there's another interesting... right now, but it's in Korean with Spanish subtitles. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with Spanish subtitles, but right. I generally prefer English subtitles to make sure that I get uh, any sort of complexities or subtleties. But I'll probably go see it. One of my students today was recommending it to me and telling me how great it was. And so... Um, well, here's a, here's the funny thing about subtitles on it. Uh, without revealing how I watched this movie, it had the worst subtitling I've ever seen in my life. I think they might have been like uh, computer generated or something. Um, and even with that, it was still a great movie. So I would like to see it with appropriate translation at some point. So it was like the YouTube yeah. automatically generated. Uh, it was uh, like that. Like it kept referring to like it couldn't do well translating names, so it would assign like proper like like nouns to people for their mm -hmm. names. It's what the closest <laughs> translation was. Um, and all like kind of the subtleties, like honorifics and stuff in Korean, would just be come out very, very strange. But um, the the other funny thing going on around Parasite, if you've been following this, is a lot of very wealthy, prominent people have it on their best of year end list, like yeah. uh, President Obama, Obama, and Obama. Then, uh, Chrissy Chrissy Teigen, and who uh, else? Oh, Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Was Elon Musk's of favorite of the. Yeah, and so people have been asking the question, like, who do these people think that they are in the movie, right? So once you see the movie, that will make more sense. Like, who do they envision? Like, what do they think this movie is illustrating? Because if you watch any of his other movies, like, they they kind of hit you over the head. Like, they're, not, they're allegories, but they're way obvious allegories about class. Um, this one's maybe a little more subtle, but not too subtle, and it's pretty clear what it's saying. And it's like, I don't understand if you're a very wealthy person, what is it that you're seeing in this movie and saying, yes, that is a very good, that does make sense. Because it's it's not a sparing portrait. It's not like you can say, well, there's, kind of all sides have a point here. <laughs> well, do you think it's probably like they, they look at it as like a movie? Like they might as well just be watching like Star Wars, where it's like the Empire and the Republic. And yeah. Like, I, and, and they don't. Well, like, I think so. And, Yeah, I think so, and like, but I don't know, you know, I never know how deep to go into President Obama's psychology, but he probably watched it and think, that's, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. I see what they're saying. <laughs> it is difficult to be poor in this country. Now, well, let me call Richard Branson and go jet skiing. <laughs> right, so, you know, well, I think, you know, at least in Star Wars, the Emperor came off pretty well in the last <laughs> one. Like, you have a lot of sympathy for him. Uh, and you realize how he got to be the way that he was, yeah. and it was mostly his upbringing and social pressure, right. yeah. And um, you try, something. yeah. You try being in charge of all the Sith. See what, see how, uh, see how that goes. Trying to be in charge of all those Sith. being bullied by a womp rat. <laughs> yeah, being bullied by a womp rat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the you know, Coruscant is just a horrible place to try to to try. I mean, you will be co-opted by the the deep state of Coruscant. Coruscant. <laughs> Coruscant. Coruscant. No. The real deep yeah. state, because that a whole planet is just um, layer and layer and layer oh. of old building, right? Yeah. See, I, read I went and saw um, Joker. I've still not been able to see it. It's been playing here for like two months. I want to see it. I haven't been able to see it. I hear it's really good. 
I thought it was awful. Nah, no. I mean, there seems to be a divided opinion. Uh, I've heard it's I've heard it's awful, and I've heard it's really really good. It has good acting. Mm. It, but like the so the social commentary didn't appeal to you. Uh, no, and um, yeah, it just seemed um, a little obvious where it was being obvious. It seemed like mm. it was. Uh, Maybe, and I'm, I generally have a problem with movies about mental illness because they're almost always um, making a point about something that isn't mental illness at all. Right. Well, I heard, you know, I'm just going to what I heard. I heard this one was a lot of just about alienation, like being alienated from your society. Uh, yeah, I think if, uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays the main character uh as Batman. at least at least at least borderline uh, uh mentally ill though i mean okay. it's he's not just uh your kind of average uh uh guy who's down on his luck and alienated he also doesn't know when and how to laugh and he's alienated from people who he should be close to because they obviously have a history where he's been wildly inappropriate and uh uh, also, it didn't have any tension except for in a few scenes. Uh, hmm. There's a, a kind of good scene that's played for laughs at the expense of a little person. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same t- time, at least that scene has some tension in it. But mostly you know where it's going. You know what's going to happen next. You There's just not much tension and it. it feels a little flat to me. Hmm. So, Chad, what are your what is your movie of the year or movies? So my movie, like I said, like... Um, yeah, I don't get out uh, to the movies too. And when I get out to the movies, even though I live in the fourth largest city in the United States, um, to actually to go to make it to a theater that's not playing um, an Avengers movie or um, 3D, a 3D IMAX movie, it's a pretty long haul. So I don't get to see too many... Uh, really um i don't get to see the parasites and the um so i would say i'll go in reverse i mean uh once upon a time in hollywood was my number one um i like that and like i said that might be quentin tarantino's best film and i do i agree with you about the last like kind of like the whole kind of last uh the whole last like act was pretty was pretty good and the last scene was pretty yeah was pretty great i liked it um mm. and and even the uh, the cigarette ad, like in the trailer, was not was pretty good. I like that. <laughs> um, or in the, not in the trailer, but in the credit in the credits. So I would right. say number two, probably a movie I really I guess I enjoyed seeing this was uh, Us was the Jordan P- the horror movie the follow up to Get Out. Yeah, was, I didn't get to see it. I really want to see it. Was it's on Netflix? It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I will see it then. And I liked it. I think it was like the first time I'd seen a horror movie, like in a theater. I think in like years, like a, hmm. and and it was a good. I mean, it was like a good. It was a good, a tense horror movie, and it had a good, yeah, kind of the whole, like the way it was set up, and the there was some surprises, and. Was, was the theater screaming or people yelling and stuff? Uh, yeah, people were like people were like sort of screaming. People were talking to the the screen. 
Um, but it, when I went to see, so my neighborhood theater in New Orleans, the Britannia, has like Sunday kids movie showings, and they had Indiana Jones. Like us and our neighbors took all our kids to see Indiana Jones, and towards the end, our three-year-old got bored, um, and so I took him out to the lobby. And the next movie playing after it was Us. Mm-hmm. So everyone's lining up for Us in the lobby, and I'm standing there with a three-year-old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone's looking at me like, uh, are you sure this is what you want to be doing right now? Then finally somebody asked me, is there a movie, like what movie's playing right now? I'm like, Indiana Jones. Okay. Um, so I would say... Although us. that has a guy being mauled in an aircraft uh, propeller, so yeah. Yeah, but that's like fun. That's, that's fun. Like a... He's fun. Blood splatter. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a fun kind of. Yeah. So were those your two? Those were my two, like us and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Joe, I almost, I would pick Joker almost, but I'm kind of, I would like to see it again. I kind of, um, I disagree with David in a lot of ways, but I also agree with David about a lot of things. So I'd like <laughs> to see it again before I. Um, make uh have a verdict have a verdict yeah so i don't want to spend all our time on talking about the movies but i also just remembered like there's this one scene in uh once upon a time in hollywood where i remembered what a good writer and director tarantino is uh and and it's uh the scene where um uh, Jesus, I forget, the most famous actor in the world. Uh, DiCaprio's like trying to make a comeback in this Western movie and he's playing the bad guy. And it spends like five minutes with Timothy Oliphant and he's acting oh, poorly. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, why is this in here? This is so long. And like, he's not, this is bad scene. And then he pulls it together and does like this next like three or four minute monologues it's amazing yeah and you realize that it's written that way it's for him to struggle through these five minutes where you're uncomfortable in the audience wondering like what is this this is really bad this is bad acting and then he just nails this intense crazy monologue like oh that's why it was there that this scene is written and put together and directed so well to kind of take you through that right and it was i mean a lot it was not only was it about hollywood it was a lot about like movie make it was about making movies i mean a lot of it was about making movies i feel like right and also i think uh maybe commentary for tarantino about doing that and getting old right about not, right yeah not being sharp at it anymore and not being right okay well so let's let's do something different from movies we talked about that a lot so um this was the first year in forever that i've been able to read books that weren't related to um what I was working on at school at that particular moment. So I wanted to see if there's any books that either came out this year or that you finally got around to reading this year that are on your your best of list. Uh, so let, Chad, you want to do that one first? Yeah, I'll do that one first. And actually, I was looking. I thought I had two novel. I thought I had two books that were. Oh yeah, these are definitely 2019. Because um, I think I'd even saw them on. I thought I had seen them on 2019 list, but then I was looking back. I was kind of looking up notes to make sure I got everything right about them. And they're actually, they were both published. My two books were published in 2018. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, but these were, uh, so I guess I'm like a year behind. And then I looked and I don't think I've read anything. That's fine. From 2000, I don't, I don't read any, I don't read books. I quit reading books in 2008. Um, <laughs> I don't read anything after. No, but these were books. I read them in 2019, but they're books from 2000. And actually, 
the book that I said actually read, I guess this is the confusing part why it, the 2019 Pulitzer prize was a fine, it was a finalist and my, wow. well, well, I'll tell you my runner up. So my runner up was yeah. the latest David Sedaris book, uh, Calypso. Okay. And it was good. It was, I liked it. It was kind of depressing. Uh, and I mean, a lot of his books are very, I mean, his books are dark in a lot of ways, but I think this one was more, I felt like it was more dark because it was about sort of about everybody in his family getting old and about like the absence of one parent and the other parent not being able to deal with the parent that is still around. Um, right. And maybe that kind of hits a little close to home for me. So it was, it was a, it was a good book, but kind of <laughs> depressing. Uh, so that was my number number two book for the year, uh, Calypso by David Sedaris. And my number one book was uh, There, There, um, which is a book. It's the author's Tommy Orange, and he is, I think he's a Cheyenne author, and it's about uh, Native Americans that are living in Oakland, California. And it kind of all centers around this big uh, powwow that they're having at the old uh, Oakland Coliseum. And it's kind of uh, different uh, different characters. Uh, it kind of flashes back and forth between different characters and kind of their past and their future and kind of what's going, like what they're kind of planning to do at this uh, powwow. Um, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's called There, There because it, I mean, it takes, uh, it's Oakland, so it you uh, it's the Gloria Stein it refers to the Gloria Steinem quote there is no there there and um, mm-hmm. kind of different people kind of talk about their relationship with uh, that Gloria Steinem quote quote there there and they talk about I mean it talks about growing up in Oakland talks about being Native American and kind of dealing with kind of all that and also how like Oakland has changed and is gentrifying and and kind of mm-hmm. that lack of uh, identity but um, interesting. Yeah, check it so out. I really liked it, and it, it's kind of it's another book. It was kind of a big, not the most, uh, not the most. Uh, <laughs> um, it's really, really good, really, really good. Not, uh, not something that's gonna. It's not laugh a minute, but it's really, really good. <laughs> All right, David, what did you have? Uh, I've got nothing. I've not read a book written in the twenty first century. In, um, I guess last year maybe I read. Lincoln in the Bardo and a couple of things, but like the last three things I read were Julius Caesar and uh, Great Expectations. And I'm rereading stuff and I'm reading stuff for school. And I just, all of my reading time is taken up with um, being an English teacher, you know, uh, and <laughs> going back and revisiting old texts and stuff. And so, unfortunately, I would love to read that Sedaris book. And I read about. They are there, yeah. Um, but I haven't read the actual book. Um, I think was it last year that Rachel Maddow had a book out. I was kind of okay. interested in reading that. I see titles and I want to read them, but there's no English language bookstore in the town where I live. Huh, that seems odd. Um, I have there's very what? little. Well, there's like a secondhand bookstore, I yeah. guess. Uh, and I read stuff in Spanish, but usually not novels. Um, um, do they yeah, write novels like in a, Spanish? A, what's that? Do they write novels in Spanish? Um, some some do. <laughs> uh, actually, I was talking to a friend who was here visiting about some novels that I want to read in Spanish and making some recommendations. 
because she's doing a um, uh, uh, course next semester on uh, gay and lesbian authors and themes, uh, or I guess the whole spectrum GLBT uh, uh, mm. um, literature in Latin America. And I went back and revisited some of the stuff I'd read years ago, a book called Now the Volcano and uh, a book originally in uh Portuguese, but that I have in Spanish called Bom Criollo, which mm-hmm. is a little bit like Billy Budd, only mm-hmm. even more homoerotic. Um, I read Billy Budd this year, finally. Oh, yeah? Did you like it? I, it's, it's uh, yeah, I like it. The writing is hard to get through sometimes. You know, it's really, it's very kind of distinctive style of writing that you have to, like, sit down and read to start getting into it, right? But I like it. There's a great section on Captain Veer's buttons in that. Uh, <laughs> but well, yeah, I like- unfortunately, I don't have anything new to recommend to people because I haven't gotten my hands on a new book in a long time. But I'm going to the U.S. soon, and while I'm up there, I'm going to uh, hit up a bookstore. Uh, and down here also, theoretically, I could... Uh, oh, you know what I did read? I read Pax. I really enjoyed that. It's a kid's oh, book. Oh, yeah. And I ordered it for the school. Um, and then I read it first and it's about a fox and, um, a little boy lets the fox has to let the fox go at the beginning and his dad goes off to war and the boy and the fox are kind of trying to find each other throughout the, uh, book. It's a British book, but it's good, uh, for kids literature. Uh, I'll recommend that one packs. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same situation as you are. Well, I have I can find a lot of English books here. My problem is that this is the year I was finally able, once I graduated, I could start reading books, but I was also moving back to Kyoto. So I read a lot of books that I'd wanted to read and hadn't got around to reading yet. So I haven't really read anything from 2019. Um, the one thing that I want to recommend that I haven't got a chance to read, but that everyone says is great, is The Yellow House by Sarah Bloom, which is a memoir about New Orleans. Uh, and it's supposed to be amazing, and I haven't got to read it yet. She's a New Orleans author uh, who wrote about her life, and I really want to read it. But um, the two things I read this year that I definitely recommend for people are, I finally read um, Kawabata's uh, The Old Capital, which he wrote about Kyoto while living in Kyoto. So I've been reading Kyoto books since I came back. Um, you know, this, this book is written like it's a post-war novel, but it's written a long, long time ago, so not 2019. But if you're interested in kind of Japanese literature, it's uh, great. It's written in 1962. And it's a particular kind of Japanese literature. If you've never read Kawabata before, it's interesting because it's not, I don't want to say it's not about anything, because it's about stuff. But it's one of those where it's got kind of a strange little plot, but it never, it's not like a John Irving novel where it covers like birth to death and this grand sweep. It's a small little story that kind of begins and ends with no real grand beginning and no real grand ending. It just kind of is a little story, and then it kind of fades out. Um, and it's it's very, very good, and it's very, very just local to Kyoto. It's interesting to read, especially about that period of time um, in a city that has changed a lot and has also not changed a lot since then. Like One of the, the main scenes takes place at a gate that's near my house that I walk through all the time, so that's interesting to see. And the other book I read was from, the translation, the English translation is from 2013, so a little more interesting, and it's by the other Murakami, the Murakami that I enjoy more than Murakami Haruki, which is Murakami Ryu. If you ever get a chance to read Murakami Ryu, I recommend it. I think he's most famous in America for Coin Locker Babies that he wrote, 
but he wrote a book called From the Fatherland with Love, which is a very strange and violent book, but I like it a lot. It's about a kind of alternate history where North Korea invades Japan. And they invade Japan in this very particular way of they figure out what Japan's vulnerabilities are. And I don't mean that in a military way. They figure out that it would be really hard for the government of Japan to make any quick decisions about anything. <laughs> so if they just go ahead and set up a provisional government in a major Japanese city, then probably by the time Japan gets around to doing anything about it, they can bring in hundreds of thousands of troops. Um, which, in like the way he describes like the process of Japanese government is so accurate, I think, and kind of the faults of the of the people in government and people in regards to government and people sitting around wondering if maybe they should do something or maybe they shouldn't do something or whose responsibility it is to do something is great. And then as usual in Murakami Ryu novels, these really outsiders of Japanese society end up becoming the heroes of it. And they're really horrible people, but they're interesting characters. And he really understands kind of the underbelly of Japanese society. And like he identifies in these kind of outsider kids uh, both our horribleness and kind of what would make you kind of interested um, in them. And so he, he's, it's a really great picture, I think, of contemporary uh, contemporary Japan. And also he apparently did like years of research on North Korea. So it's also opens up a really interesting window into, into North Korea. <clears throat> so I recommend, those are my two recommendations, The Old Capital and uh, Murakami Ryu. But Old Capital by Kawabata and Murakami Ryu's from the Fatherland with Love. And if you have anything from this year, I'm also gonna be trying to read The Yellow House by Sarah Bloom, so you should read it. Um, all right, so maybe we should do TV last since we already did film. So uh, let's do music quickly next. Were there any, any new or good music you listened to this year? And I'll start with you, David, knowing that the answer is probably no. Uh, yeah, I, I went actually and looked at um other people's lists of um, their top mm. 20 albums, and then I realized that there's no such thing as an album uh, anymore. <laughs> uh, or, I mean, there are, but that's not the way a lot of people listen to music. Right. And then I looked at top 20 artists of the year of a bunch of different people's lists, and I found that um, I knew a couple of the names on the list, but I had never heard of almost anybody that anybody's listening to. Um, yeah. I listened to old music. Um, I keep saying I listen to and I read old things and all. I don't want it to sound like I'm stuck in time or that I'm some sort of snob and think that things used to be better. It's just a question of access and energy. Mm -hmm. And I used to always get new music by hanging out with uh, my students and hearing what they were listening to and one thing and another. And I just don't do that as much anymore. So I just don't hear new stuff. And almost everything I hear is uh, pop music, which is not my mm. favorite genre. Um, right. And so I, do, I have to say, no, I, that's another one where I kind of draw a blank. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say because I tend to take your musical recommendations and it turns me on to something new. Uh, I don't always like it, but I often do. So. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, Chad, did you listen to anything new this year? Uh, I listened to new music from old artists. Like that was, I, I feel like I am listening to new stuff, but it's by people that have been putting out stuff for um, a lot of years. Like I listened to the new, uh, new pornographers. 
album that was really good i liked oh. it in the morris code of brake lights um that was really good um i also listened to probably my number two was um uh you might like the uh the mountain the new mountain goats album uh which was inspired by uh dungeon and dragons uh, which was um sort of like a sort of a rock i some people say it's a rock opera, like they said, it's a, a rock opera loosely based on playing Dungeon and Dragons when they were in uh, in uh, high school, uh, in League with Dragons by the Mountain Goats. Uh, you know, I haven't listened to it yet, but I would recommend anyone listen to any Mountain Goats album yeah. ever. So that was, re- it's really good. Yeah, I would listen to that. I like the Mountain Goats. Yeah. Um, I think I might have told you this before, but the first time I heard the Mountain Goats, I was living with David in Austin, Texas, working at Magnolia Cafe South. And one of the waiters just walked up to me, and this is like, what, 1998-ish? One of the waiters walked up to me with a cassette tape and said, uh, I've got this cassette tape, you have to listen to this. And it was the Mountain Goats when it was just like him passing out cassette tapes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and it was all all of the old, like, um, uh, I forget what that series is called, but where about the undercover drug, uh, drug agent romance. Right, right, yeah. And it was actually, I think the... Um the this new album was even i think they did like one of those like um they played like a concert on twitch and it was like hosted by wizards of the coast or something like that i think that was um something like that so that's my what my probably my number two that might be one b and my uh, 1A album is uh, The Purple Mountains, I've been, like the day, which was late, kind of like, came out late in the year uh, by uh, Dave Berman of the uh, Silver Jews, which is sort of like a pavement-adjacent oh. uh, band. And who also, yeah, and he had passed away in that album. Too. Yeah, yeah he, pat, like, he released the album and then just like maybe not, I don't even know if it was, it was pretty soon after the album came out he passed away. Um, but yeah, he's very good. It was good. I feel like the new pornographers. I have this whole list of bands that I think because of the ten years I lived in Japan before, like I, my age and demographics and musical interests, probably I should have heard, but I've never heard before. So like the new pornographers, I have no idea. I've never heard anything. Who else? Like uh, the the Nationals, the National, the National. The National that was a really that was a really good concert. I, I went to see the National this year. I saw them on September the eleventh. I don't know any national song. I couldn't name one. Don't know the new pornographers. I don't think I've ever heard a Wilco song in my life. Um, I who's the other band? Who's the, the everyone in my age likes? Hold Steady. Don't know the Hold Steady. Um, I've been at a party with the people from Arcade Fire, but I've never heard an Arcade Fire song in my life. I think I just missed out on all of that stuff. I'm supposed to. Arcade Fire. To. The lead singer was born in the Woodlands, where I live, and went to Simon's Rock of Bard, I think, and yeah. then is very tall and walks around New Orleans. Um, weren't you the one who who coined the phrase uh, or the term Wilco dads? I thought that I was <laughs> because I said it, but I think it's one of those things a lot of people realized all at one time, and I've heard other people that have probably never heard me say it use it. Because um, I said to someone, I don't want to be a Wilco dad, I want to be a Nas uncle. Um, and But then I've seen other people say Wilco dad. But it seems like Wilco dad is a real thing. Like when I go to the park, or when I went to the park in New Orleans, I would get a little scared because there was a lot of guys that look like my age wearing the exact same shoes that I wear and shirts that I would also wear and maybe a few had a few pounds on me but looked like we all probably would hang out and listen to Wilco, although I don't listen to Wilco. 
Well, it's you either okay. you either die the hero or live long enough to be the villain. Yeah, I feel that. So my pick for the year is, and I say this over and over again, every year that the band Martha puts out an album, that will be my album of the year. So Martha put out an album this year, uh, and it is the album of the year. Uh, it's called Love Keeps Kicking. Are either of you familiar with the band Martha? I've heard a lot about them, but I have to say, I shamefully have to say no. I try to get people interested in them. I try, I tried to get people to start a band uh, in the vein of Martha, but nope. Uh, I love them. So I think Chad, me and you are both big J Church fans, right? Yeah. Or Lance Hahn in general. So for me, Martha is the closest to being like okay. J Church that yeah. a band has been in a while, and they're really interesting. They're from. Uh, the far north of England from a small town called Pity Me in England. Um, and I don't know much about them personally. I know, like, they identify sort of as a as a uh, queer band, um, as an LGBTQ band. I've heard that talked about, but I haven't read too deeply into it. But they just write these great songs that where you can tell that they're smart, but they're not trying too hard to be, like, clever. You know, they're not... They're clever songs, but they're not, like... So, like, when I listen to Pavement, it's clear that Steve Malcolmus is very smart and he's trying to be clever, and I enjoy that. But this is different. This is, like, kind of in the way I think Lance Hahn was, where it's just really perceptive yeah. songs, and they're right. kind of funny. Um, you know, Love Keeps Kicking, the title track off of this album has this great scene where their friend gets too drunk at a wedding and gets thrown out for trying to mosh to Huey Lewis in the news at the wedding and knocks over somebody's grandma. Um, it has the the song about WrestleMania eight about making a friend in school because they both like watching WrestleMania. <laughs> so and it's just a bunch of uh, of really um, good perceptive songs, <clears throat> and I enjoy enjoy them. So anytime you get a chance, listen to Martha. Listen to Martha. Uh, Love keeps kicking is their new album, and they're not on any any major label. So but they're on Spotify and stuff or YouTube. Just go on YouTube and listen to one of their songs. Um, also, they have a song on the new album called Brutalism by the River, which is great if you're into architecture. So there you go. That's my pick for number one of the year. That's it. That's the only one. Awesome. All right. So we will wrap it up by doing any TV shows this year that you're super into? I've got a few. All right. David. Um, well, uh, Watchmen is at the top of my list, I guess. And I was so ready not to like it, and I kind of tried not to, because I'm kind of over superhero stuff, and I'm over, like, good people being forced into situations where they have to use physical violence Mm -hmm. as a trope in movies. It just, I'm sick of violence, even fictional violence, Um, and it often seems really lazy to me, but it turned out that in this uh, series, that's not how it felt to me at all. It didn't right. hinge on violence. Um, it was funny in a lot of places and uh, over the top a lot and entertaining all the way through. Um, I got invested in the characters. I thought the acting was good. I thought the writing, uh, you just, it, it uncovers layer after layer uh, of stuff that's there all along. And then Mm -hmm. you figure out what's actually going on at layer after layer in a way that, to me, is a much more compelling way to tell a story than to just make things happen. Right. Uh, When everything that happens reveals something about what happened before, that's pretty great storytelling. And I enjoyed that. The other thing, uh, it's not a new... um, Well, I guess actually I've got three other shows 
none of which are new, but all of which uh, I thought had good years. One was Dairy Girls, which I hadn't watched, but I did this year, and it's just hilarious and uh, kind of, it's about some, uh, a group of girls and one guy who are growing up in Ireland, in uh, the uh, north part of Ireland, in uh, the 80s, I guess, like right at the end of the period of the Troubles. And mm-hmm. so in the background, it's kind of like Billy Elliot in that in the background, there's all this sort of strife going on. And then there's uh, different levels of strife inside of their houses. And then they're just trying to be teenagers in the middle of it all. And it's very funny and good. And it's a BBC show, I think. And so there's just a few episodes per season. And it's two seasons in. There's supposed to be another one coming out soon. Mm, uh, and it I'll was very good, very funny. And Mindhunter, I liked the first season better, but I enjoyed yeah, it. Too. It deserves a better title than Mindhunter. <laughs> uh, He's out there hunting minds, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the first and season And the last one is John watching. Oliver. I always keep up with John Oliver just because as much as I get tired of his shtick, I think he covers really interesting stuff. I think Hassan Minaj does a similar thing, and I'm not crazy about his stick either, but I just feel more informed after I watch him and entertained while I'm watching him. Yeah, I haven't watched the Hassan Minaj one, but I've heard that I've heard that he a lot of people think he's kind of surpassed John Oliver in his political perception, but I don't watch either of them anymore, so I should try. Um yeah, Watchmen, I think, is, is amazing. And I, I was very skeptical about them making a TV show of it because I thought the movie was fun to look at but not very good. Um, and I think, you know, the graphic novel is one of my favorite things ever written. The, and I don't think you could, without Alan Moore being involved, I didn't see how they could do it, and I thought it would be ridiculous. But it turned out to be very, very good. And also, it's one of those things that's surprising to me that more people don't know about the Tulsa massacre. But uh, because one, one reason is I have a had a colleague in grad school who was writing her dissertation on it, so I got to hear a lot about it. But uh, it's good that people are interested in that now and, and trying to explore that. Yeah. Um, and there's so many small details in that show that I found interesting in Watchmen. I haven't finished it yet. But, you know, the first few episodes you can watch and say, you start to, re- you're like, oh, these people, um, it's like the African-American neighborhood they're living, it's really nice houses, and there's something that seems incongruous about that to us because we're used to America as it exists. And then you realize it's because they live in an America that actually made reparations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah. the middle, this, there is uh, African-American upper middle class, right, because that had happened. But then, of course, you also get people who are horribly resentful of that, uh, which is, of course. You mean uh, red federations? The Redford Rations. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> I like that, too, because that, that's the ongoing thing in the graphic novel, right? All these kind of celebrities have different right. roles in the alternate history. I'm glad they kept that up as well. I like Skip yeah, Gates. Yeah, Skip Gates was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chad, what do you have for this year? Okay, probably my... I really liked uh, The Watchmen. Uh, or what? I'm sorry. Watchmen. I really liked Watchmen. Uh, even though I went into it uh, very hostile... <laughs> I went into it very hostile, uh, just being uh, kind of superheroed out, um, and also, yeah, kind of very leery of uh, 
somebody doing another after the Watchmen movie, um, doing another thing based on uh, the Watchmen graphic novel that was not Alan Moore was not involved in. But it turned out I really liked it. Um, I really liked mm-hmm. it, and yeah, it was good. From I mean, it was a very different thing from the graphic novel, but I really liked it. Um, my number one pick, probably my favorite TV show of the uh, year, I would say the this uh, Showtime the Showtime documentary uh, that was the Wu Tang Clan of Mikes and Men, uh, which was it was like oh a, yeah I've seen that it was a four episode uh, documentary and they were all like the episodes were all like I mean they were an hour I mean they were like a full like sixty minutes so it was like a pretty long uh, documentary but I thought it was really good and. I, it was another thing like, well, I probably know a lot of the stuff and I do know, I mean, and I did know a lot, but there were things I learned and it all like it interviewed every, like every, it brought everybody back together and, um, interviewed 3,300 of them, all 3,300. Uh, and it was good. And they had a lot of stuff about old dirty bastard and like kind of oh, the episode. Well, yeah. The episode about old dirty bastard was pretty good. And, um, and but it was and it was also kind of interesting to watch because they were all together but then you could also tell there was definitely a tension there was still like the you know there was a reason why they you could tell why they broke up. i mean you could tell that they were not over the reasons why they broke up and they talked about that a little bit uh um and it was good it was a really good uh i recommend if you're a fan of the wu-tang clan or want to know more about the wu-tang clan i recommend um, of Mike's and men. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. It's weird for me because I've always been really into hip-hop since the first time I saw Run DMC uh, in, like, the early 80s, when I saw them on TV. But, like, I did, for some reason, I just kind of missed out on Wu-Tang Clan when they, you know, I was aware of them, but I think I was just, like, skeptical. I don't know. I think I was already listening to a lot of, you know, De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest and stuff, and so I just didn't get invested in them. And then they were so kind of well loved by some people. I kind of stayed away from them. Yeah. But then I went, I went back and listened to them, and it's all, it's all great. It all holds up so well. It, and yeah. It really was such genius work. And I did love, I love Old Dirty Bastard. I love his solo album. I think it's one I could talk about it for a long time. It's one of those strange aberrations that just really worked. But yeah, I missed out. I was not a Wu Tang fan in the way that some people were in the moment. But I would still like to see this. Yeah. Well, you heard they were uh, nothing to fuck with, and so you didn't fuck with them. I did. That's it. They told me. I took that advice literally. Um, like, okay. Like, yeah, all right, guys. You told me. Uh, I guess I'm going to fuck with somebody else. Um, yeah. Uh, so my, my TV show of the year, and I'll keep it to one because there's other good stuff, was uh, Chernobyl, which was on HBO, the limited miniseries, um, which... It, is brilliant and great and looks great throughout it. The acting's amazing, the writing's amazing, and its kind of dedication to getting the history right is really, really good and refreshing. Um, And as someone who researches disasters, it's very, very interesting to watch because you see the same kind of problems that you see in other disasters coming up again and again. And uh, one thing, it was kind of quickly adopted by kind of the right wing in America to say, see, that's what happens under communism. Uh, and a lot of it is particular to, to communism, which was interesting to watch. But there are so many things that are shared across disasters and in, in all kinds of societies uh, that, to me, w- were were relevant. Um, and some things that I didn't know about that that 
made me look into, such as the kind of powers that the miners and the miners' unions had in Russian society because everything would stop if they wouldn't work. And so they were able to kind of be who they wanted to be and have power over government administrators and stuff. And so it, it made me, and I think a lot of other people, go back and look into the actual history of Chernobyl, uh, which was interesting and, and good for a TV show to do. Did any of the rest of you see Chernobyl? Were you able to? No. I didn't, I, but um, I'm, I have access to it, so I probably will now that you've recommended it. Yeah, you should. Uh, I watched... I was going to mention a couple other things that I watched that aren't exactly at the top of my list, but they're worth a watch. Uh, His Dark Materials was pretty good, and The yeah, Righteous Gemstones also. Oh, I want to see The Righteous Gemstones. That is, anything Danny McBride does is yeah, great. Yeah, that was very good. Righteous Gemstones is very good. It's so funny because I think I feel like we all know Danny McBride in real life, or we know all his characters. <laughs> yeah. um, well, one of the things I, I liked about The Righteous Gemstones was that he didn't get kind of free hand. And so yeah. his character is not understated, but he's uh-huh. surrounded by much more, well, some pretty silly characters, but I think John Goodman really anchors it and puts it not in that zany all the way out in the pine woods place right. where Danny McBride seems to thrive. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, my old neighbor, John Goodman, trick-or-treated his house last year. Have any of you uh, seen uh, Vice Principals, the other Danny McBride show? Yeah. I need to watch it. I've heard it's pretty good. It's too. kind it's of not, not as good. Yeah. Not over the top like East Pound and Down, but it is also very good. Yeah. It, I was going to say I have one that's like not a favorites list, but I think it deserves mention, and that is um, I feel like every year at your house, David, we show up and we get stuck on watching something. And this year, George had us watching Letterkenny. Yeah. <laughs> which is um, not the greatest show ever, but very funny, and I would say worth watching through once. And also, I think we asked the question at the time, but. It's funny because we talk about all this stuff as being, oh, the South is like this, the South is like that. And this is a show about people in, like, Newfoundland, right? And so much of it was so familiar that it was hilarious. But but also yeah. enough off-kilter to be strange. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. I still like the soft birthday party. <laughs> Before um, we end, I want to plug yeah. something uh, that I'm doing. Uh, okay, this yeah. coming Tuesday, I think, is the 14th. Um, sure. And we're doing, I'm part of another uh, podcast, a small part, uh, a podcast called Squad Car 22. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a live broadcast next Tuesday. And I'll try to, if I can figure out how the Twitters are working, I'll try to yeah, tweet it out on the uh, Addicts Instagram account. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, before then, uh, but Sounds it's um, uh, it's a podcast that's about uh, two cops who keep <laughs> sort of driving into surreal territory. Uh, I played a uh, talking horse in one, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, silly and kind of fun and maybe a little offensive. So uh, uh, if anybody wants to hear that, uh, I think we'll be. If we're still sober enough, when the hour rolls around, we'll be live podcasting on Tuesday. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that does it for us. See you next week. See you then. See you then.
No, you can you can use it. It's good. 